Well, welcome to sort of the Broadcorp Report. This is a crossover show. Right now, we are at the Minnesota DFL headquarters. So we all came in here today with masks on, kind of sneaking around, <laughs> perused around the place a little bit. You guys don't know, but we were here last night looking in the windows. We wanted to know what we could expect. We're going to have to debug this place afterwards. Yeah, yeah so. you, well, trust me, we were here Watergate? last night placing some things around. So I'm your moderator. I am Todd Walker. And as I said, this is a crossover show. We we are right now with the Broadcorb team of Michael Broadcorb and Becky Allery. And, of course, now we have with at the Minnesota DFL with the Minnesota DFL Debrief Show. And I'm sure you listen to their podcast as well. We have Brian Evans, who's our comms director. We have Will Davis, our research director. And... Chairman of the Minnesota DFL. We got to drop some soundtrack in there of a drum roll. We have Ken Martin here with us today. He just gave us a tour around the building. And I have to tell you, I felt like um, I should wear a suit here next time. This is a very, very formal place. But let's get right into it anyways, guys. So thanks for having us. I mean, how did this all come together that these two teams are in the same house Tell us how this all happened. Well, I, w I was coming by to pick up my paycheck. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, I just happened to bring it up at the staff meeting that uh, we should maybe do this. Uh, let's set the record clear on that. I, I don't get paid by the DFL. To those that are listening, I just wanted that's a wait, joke. Wait, did you endoorse for Governor Oh, here we're starting off tough. Uh, you, I mean, wait a second. We're, didn't you endorse, Becky? Who did, who did he endorse? I think it was Governor Walls. Governor Walls. I did. Okay. You know, sometimes that in our nation's history, people have to make proud, principled positions, and I stand by the decision that I made, and I'm happy to discuss it here on some maybe some friendly turf for once. I actually thought Becky let you off the hook pretty oh. easily on that last episode. Did, did you guys work this out in the parking lot? We so the did chairman, not. So the chairman of the DFL is being hard on me about the Wells endorsement than you're is that where we're at right I'll now? I'll take it. I'll take it. All right, good. Yep. Tell you, we got a great deal on the two for one for the endorsement. Like he threw in Secretary Simon at yeah. uh, a discount rate. That's right. No, that was it was great. it was it was I, I was I was I did it, and I and I stand by the decision to do it. Well, in truth, uh, the research department here are all big listeners of the Broadcorp Report, and uh, we just decided to reach out and see if that was something you guys might be interested in. Yeah, and I'll just say we're big fans. Obviously, um, we think it's important to have a uh, platform, uh, Republican voices uh, out there doing the same thing we've been doing for some time now, and. Uh, uh, kudos to you. I think you guys are, what, nine or ten episodes in now, and uh, it's been great so far to listen to, to the Broadcorp Report. Yeah, and Action for Liberty turned us down, so we checked with you guys. <laughs> oh, that's great, yeah. No, we were really looking we're, for that show. We're happy to be here and hope we can have a good, well-rounded conversation, and I appreciate the opportunity the invitation to be here. All right, well, let's jump right into it. I mean, right now we are looking at exactly two years to the day of the insurrection. So let's talk about the landscape, how things have changed over the past two years, a reflection of where we are today from where we are two years ago. So uh, let's just have a little friendly conversation. What are your thoughts? Well, look, I, I mean, it's just amazing that we're sitting here two years after, you know, probably one of the uh, worst attacks on our capital that, you know, certainly probably the worst we've seen in our lifetime for sure. Um, but, you know, what I am remarking on today and just, you know, I, I think for all of us, it's a day of remembering just how fragile democracy is. Right. And that day, I think for both parties, really crystallized that um, we have a responsibility, not just to our parties, not just to partisans, but to Americans to live up to the ideals of our founding fathers. And, you know, um, I think it forever changed um, our country. Uh, probably for the better, because I think more Americans now are aware of not just the fragility of our democracy, but that we have to be vigilant vanguards of it. We have to stand up and protect it 
can't defend it. And, you know, um, uh, I, I would just say that uh, the, the, the good that came out of it is, and you probably would agree with this, Michael, we would poll for years on, uh, you know, public opinion on uh, voting rights and democracy generally, and it would always poll at the bottom of the list. People just didn't seem to care, right, about dem- democracy generally or voting. Now I think more Americans are, are hyper attuned to it than they've ever been. I, I would agree with you, Mr. Chairman. I mean, I, it's one. It's it's a it was a difficult day to watch as Republicans, knowing the role that Republicans had. As someone who, uh, contrary to popular opinion of, of my co-host, uh, I, I do want to see Republicans succeed on, on a number of levels, and it was a frustrating day to watch. I, I will say to you, uh, particularly Secretary of State Simon's uh, messaging and leadership post uh, January sixth, his leadership in, on tackling some of the election issues. Um, are part of the reasons why I also supported him. And, and I think that we need to have more of an appreciation and understanding that Republicans, if they lose, can lose fairly. Um, and if Democrats lose or Democrats win, they can win fairly. And that's lost right now. And I know that's something that, that Becky believes strongly in, too. Yeah, you know, for me, it was really um, a, a really hard time. I had just left the party in October of 2020. I was serving as executive director of the Republican Party of Minnesota. So to watch this down, come down and and have a little bit of maybe guilt, you know, surrounding my role really there. Um, obviously, I had nothing to do with the insurrection or, or that messaging. But I did spend two years at the party, you know, promoting the president. That's your job is to pro- promote the electeds and, and those who have the election certificate. And so, um, you know, it was a t- really tough thing to watch. It was really embarrassing thing to watch. I remember even one time I was, you know, requesting to to join some community Facebook page, um, completely not related to politics. And the person had seen on my Facebook profile that that was my job. And before I got admitted to a simple community page asked me if I believe Donald Trump or Joe Biden won the election. I mean, to have to answer to that it really was just like embarrassing and you know really tough to kind of to to move past and and then to watch this division within the Republican Party over the last 2 years you have a large sect unfortunately that still really truly believe that Donald Trump won that election um which I also is is frustrating to say we at that same election in 2020 Republicans won you know so many um, Republican House seats, Senate seats, these ones, I mean, did, do they think that they those were not valid wins? I mean, it's hard to point at an election and say it was it was fake, it was not real, and, and not look at some of those kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I've been thinking a lot about is wh- how to move forward with all of this. And so, I mean, you know, Republicans have obviously different feelings on things like voter ID and our election laws, but it feels like we have yet to really develop uh, or like the maybe the right, at least from what I've seen, is yet to develop a way to talk about that that doesn't at least to some extent, further those conspiracy theories a little bit or, I guess, play into that. And I think we saw that maybe a little bit in the Secretary of State race here. And so I guess the one thing that I've been kind of, yeah, thinking a lot about is how to, you know, develop a way to talk about election policy that doesn't feed into these uh, conspiracy theories. And I think that's going to be something really important going forward. And for me, I'm just astonished that some of the people who helped aid and abet that insurrection, it's become very clear, are still walking the streets and have paid no consequences for it. And I find that a huge, huge shame. Here's the frustration is, is let's look at today, January 6th. What, is, what did the DFL leadership do at the state capitol? They had a press conference where they announced the formation of an inclusive democracy caucus on the second anniversary. I mean, that's literally like having a press conference where you're announcing your support for apple pie. 
Why can't we do that on the Republican side? Why can't they have that type of, of press conference? Why can't they have that type of messaging opportunity? I mean, one of the, the frustrations I think Becky and I both share about the Republicans is why can't we have nice things? Why can't we be advocates <laughs> for democracy? Why can't we wrap ourselves in the flag that the same way the Democrats do and are able to embrace that type of voting? It's a real frustration that I think we both have. Mm-hmm. Well, well, and I, I would just say, Michael, and I, I, I agree with you 100%, but the reality is democracy and protecting our country should not be partisan issues, right? And unfortunately, in recent years, they become partisan issues. And the reality is, is we each party has a responsibility, as I mentioned earlier. Part of it is to zoom out from the toxicity and the sort of sport that politics has become, right? It's become a blood sport. It's a sign now. Uh, it's more a, a sign of victory and success when you make sure the other side doesn't get anything done than actually getting something done for your constituents, right? It, it, modern politics has become such a blood sport that really it, it, the whole game is to make the other side look bad at any expense, right? And I think that has, has lent itself to what we've seen in recent years. It's not just one party, right? But for sure, you know, you have to start with the fact that when you deny an election and there's no peaceful transfer after how many years of peaceful transfers of power in our country, uh, what we saw on uh, not only January 6th, but in the weeks after that November uh, election in 2020 was really anathema to who we are as Americans, not who we are as Democrats or Republicans, but who we are as Americans in both parties. I think you know this, Michael. You know, my dad was a Republican. Uh, you know, we need the Republicans to to be defending democracy as hard and as much as as Democrats have because they always have. It's just in recent years and again because of one election that we've seen this turn. So I don't think this is partisan. It shouldn't be partisan. We're all defenders of our country. We all believe in our country. We all believe in a Republican democracy. We all have a responsibility to defend it. All right. I'd be interested in hearing from the people from the DFL debrief about the other issue that's happening right now as I peeked in because they all have TVs in their office, guys. Did you see that? As I peeked in and I see that Kevin McCarthy now just failed time number 12 to become Speaker of the House. Let's put, turn this over to the DFL debrief and uh, hear a little bit about what you guys think about what we're going through right now. Well, the thing that really sticks out to me is that the folks opposing McCarthy, I haven't seen a really concrete list of demands from them. It seems to be, I can't tell if it's about spectacle or about his you know, willingness or unwillingness to shut the government down, but it just seems like there is a fraction of the party that is unwilling to govern. And it's a small fraction, but when you have a slim majority, and maybe we'll talk about this later with the Minnesota legislature, but when you have a slim majority, you know, some uh, some things are going to get tough. And if they can't, it's it's just, uh, I, I don't quite understand what this fight is about on the right. And I'd be curious, uh, you know, if you all have any insights on, you know, what the detractors are looking for, how you think this plays out. Becky? You know, from from my perspective, so the things that I've read is is a couple different things. Um, term limits is one of the things. Uh, Seventy two hours to read bills before they're voted on. Um, one vote instead of multiple votes to vacate the chair, um, and more seats on the rules committee. I know some individuals members are, are jockeying for specific committee chair or committee positions mm-hmm. um, as well. And so, but my frustration is the same that this is not they're not. The holdouts are holdouts just to be holdouts at this point. It's not just to over some principled stance of overturning Obamacare or reinstating, you know, Ro- or, you know Roe v. v. Wade. You know, it's it's not something of that sort. It's 
being holdouts so that in the future they can cause more chaos, from my perspective. I, I thought what uh, former Congressman Kinzinger said last night on CNN was absolutely right. I mean, these five, this isn't about uh, McCarthy uh, or, frankly, what the list of demands are from the rest of the Freedom Caucus. For about five to six of these members, it's about them. You know, Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert have never gotten as much uh, time on the floor and certainly gotten as much attention as they have in recent days. And this is really about them. And they realize that they have the power. And, and you know, it's it's true of any, you know, close majority where you have a few people who can band together. They wield an immense amount of, of power. And, and so what we're seeing on, is on display here is not uh, unprecedented for sure. It certainly, unfortunately, has a bright spotlight on it. Um, you know, I, I, someone said last night, too, that, you know, there was a speaker's election that went to 100 and some odd ballots in the 1800s, right? I certainly hope this one doesn't last as long. But I would say this, that what's on display is not just the, uh, the fact that there's uh, a lot of these uh, elected officials trying to garner attention. It's also the fact that there still is a deep divide within the Republican Party that has not healed. And I, I do believe there are people in that caucus and that conference who are trying to heal it. And that's what you're seeing, unfortunately, on full display right now. This fight really is a fight over the heart and soul of what that Republican conference is going to look like over the next two years. Yeah, and for me, I mean, how do I feel? You saw the big dump truck full of popcorn Ken bought us, so we've been enjoying it, munching away, <laughs> enjoying every second. But, I mean, I don't know. I I don't feel bad for Kevin McCarthy. Him and the rest of their leadership have sort of been fostering this. I mean, they helped Marjorie Taylor Greene get elected. They helped Lauren Bulbrick get elected. They helped Paul Gosar get elected. And it's not just the leadership. I mean, Paul Gosar was in here for a Minnesota GOP event this last year, I think. I mean, he's... They've been promoted and pushed to do this stuff, and they've been rewarded for it, so why stop now? And I think just some, you know, I hope McCarthy's looking inward, has a little self-reflection of his role in this big mess. Becky, uh, Michael, the two of you have both worked for the party. Are you in support of Kevin McCarthy being the uh, Speaker of the House? Ooh, silence. Wait a second. I just shut down Michael. I just shut down Michael Broadcorp. I found him um, speechless. Uh, I was, yeah. Uh, let, me, let me just say this. Um, you know, I, a couple couple points in it. Uh, not as simple as... as I think as, I asked you a question. Yeah, you did. Uh, first of all, I, I'm for uh, any branch of leadership being responsible. And my frustration right now with the Republicans is that is that they have they won the majority in the House of Representatives, and they can't get the train to run on time. One of the things that I used to say when um, when I was part of minority staff and majority staff is that the the job of the minority staff is to make is to throw sand in the gears sometimes because if the system breaks down to a reasonable point, um, what you can then make the case that the people that are governing are not responsible enough to to deliver things. Republicans control the gavels in the house and they can't even organize on the first day. And so from my standpoint, there's a, there's a messaging component. There's a process frustration that I have also that we have, there are Republicans inside the party who for some reason also want to burn the place down. And it's one of the problems I think inherently Republicans have, you know, Ronald Reagan is, is a, has a, a godlike status inside the Republican party. And he you know famously talked about how that the institution of government was the problem. And I think it created a mindset 
that anything time govern anything anytime the government works well or it's functioning, that's bad. And so what you have is a group of Republicans who aren't there to show up and pass bills. There's not a lot of Mr. Smiths that go to Washington right now inside that there are a lot of activity right now. And so what you have is you have Republicans there that that don't want it to function. They want it to break down. They mm-hmm. think it's mm-hmm. the enemy. But they're simultaneously running to be a part of the team. It, it's like the, the Yankee reference that I was using to describe <laughs> this beautiful facility you have here like Yankee Stadium. The Yankee would the Yankees wouldn't have a player on their baseball team that wanted to throw the games each time. What you have right now is you have Republicans running for office that their excitement and interest is in burning the place down. All right, Becky, uh, could we get you to answer the question? Michael, I've been a reporter and a journalist for over 20 years. You really think I'm going to let this go by without you having to simply say yes or no, I support. Yes, I do. You support McCarthy yes. as the speaker. Of wow, those. your host is a lot harder on you two than, than we <laughs> yeah. are. Yeah, and we need it, and we need it, and we need it. All right, Becky. You know, I, I spent some time working in comms, and, and my favorite response from a reporter to a press release on a bill was, okay, but did he vote for it or against it? So the the art of saying something without saying something is, is a true art. So I'll start with saying, you know, love it or hate it, these these 20 now 12 individuals kind of put themselves on an island so you know they have identified themselves of who they are and so that's something that um going forward i'm sure that they're going or i I would like to think there's likely going to be some primary you know challenges for some of these republicans they are going to have to answer to this um they're probably fundraising quite a bit off of it as well so um you know those 20 they've they've made this name for themselves they're going to have to answer to this um one thing that i think it is different if this was uh, on the democrat side is, um, I don't know how you guys do it, but you like to have a lot of your discord behind closed doors and Republicans like to drag it out for all to see. <laughs> tell us your secret here. Wait, first tell us, who would you support? I, oh, yes, Becky. <laughs> uh, yes, on the record. Becky, who would you support <laughs> for Speaker of the House? You know, I do I do like Congressman McCarthy. I do think he is Said a, a yes or a no, yes, please. Yes, I would support right, Congressman So we have two supporters <laughs> right two here. Passionate, for the, for two more that he needs. Right. Two more votes. See you okay. guys fight out in public again. Republicans <laughs> going at it. Well, and one thing I will say is that, uh, you know, oftentimes I feel like Democrats can be a bit of a cat herd for messaging purposes. Like, you know, it's not all uh, it's not all good things for our side. And that can sometimes be because a lot of like Democrats who run for office do so because they want to get into government because they believe government can solve a particular problem. So you get them all in a room and then, you know, a bunch of them go off to work on housing policy, environmental policy, voting rights, all this different stuff. And so sometimes it can be hard to coalesce that into one message. And that's a complaint we hear a lot. But at the same time, it means that we don't have situations like this as much because at the end of the day everyone is there to get things done like actually govern and so I mean it can be a messaging nightmare sometimes me, for the one unified let me, message. Let me, let me give you an example of this, too, uh, <laughs> Ryan. And you guys have heard me say this before. You know, Colin Peterson, uh, who represented the 7th District in uh, Minnesota for years, one of the most uh, Republican districts in the country held by a Democrat. Every year, someone in uh, my party would come up to me and say, you need to run Colin Peterson out. Um, you need to primary him. You need to strip him of his endorsement. Uh, and um, and I would say, why? And they said, well, you know, he's pro, he's pro life he's he's pro-gun he's anti-marriage equality you know he doesn't believe in our values and you know um i'm reminded of what colin said to me he goes he said he would always say to me and, and to others the most important vote is the first vote and every year he would stand up and he would vote for speaker pelosi or whichever democrat was running for leader that's the difference, which is in some ways people need to realize we are a big tent. The DFL is a big tent. Uh, and we have 
conservative Democrats like Colin Peterson. We have very leftist Democrats like Ilhan Omar uh, and everything in between, right? But as a result, we recognize we have to stick together and particularly on the most important vote, which is how you build and solidify power. And I think that might be a little bit of the difference there, right? The unifying force for us, at least, is when we've gained power and we have majorities, we recognize we have to stick together and not devolve into our own little camps. And otherwise, we see things like what's happening right now to McCarthy. I didn't mean to be a distraction, Brian. As Brian was, uh, we didn't see it off air, which was Brian was discussing all these problems that they're having. I was playing a little bit of a violin because we're sitting here on the day that you have control of the House, you have control of the Senate, you have the governor's office, you have the secretary of state's office, you have the attorney general's office, and you have the state auditor's office. So uh, I, it's, we, it, we would, yeah. we would, it would and be, a functioning state party, and a functioning <laughs> state party well, who has that's going a little bit too far. No, it, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I it's it's this is a this is a situation where we, we sit across and we have to say we, we we would I think there are a number of people who would love to have the problems that you guys have. Uh, who would love to have the problems, the leadership problems that yeah, you guys have? Yeah, but you know, have. you remember this, Michael. It wasn't too long ago when the Republicans, you know, you worked uh, for Governor Plenty. You, you know, you worked for a number of different campaigns. You worked at the party when the party was strong. Probably the last time the party was strong. I came in when you were still the deputy chair, you and Tony Sutton. And, you know, all of this, uh, you know, it ebbs and flows. Power is fleeting, right? And I think at the end of the day, the Republican Party will be back here and they'll find their way. And I'm certainly hopeful for that. I don't take any glee in the fact that the Minnesota Republican Party has fallen on on tough times, right? Because, uh, you know, the reality is for us in this state, so much good that's happened is because Democrats and Republicans came together really uh, in a spirit that is not really uh, prevalent around the country to really pass good public policy. You had Republicans, and when I talk about my dad being a Republican, he believed that there was a role for government. You know, it was public safety, it was uh, public education, it was infrastructure, right? As a businessman, those were the things he believed in. He had a, a conservative viewpoint that you need smaller government and lower taxes, right? The reality is, is that belief system of Old conservatives like my dad no longer exists in, in, in large part in the Republican Party who've abandoned those principles, right? And so I think there's a couple struggles that I see with the Republican Party. One is years ago in, uh, to win presidential races and to put themselves in a position to gain power, they started to let some folks into their party, the Southern strategy as an example, and others and the evangelicals who then started to push very specific agendas over uh, old-fashioned conservative principles. Second is gerrymandering, which has been largely pushed by the Republican and conservative movement, have led to very um, uh, non-competitive districts. And when you have non-competitive districts, Right. You have a Matt Gates who feels like there is no punishment that he will ever incur. He can do whatever he wants and says whatever he wants and go back to his district and win. So in some ways, what the Republican Party is seeing right now in this moment didn't start with Donald Trump. This started years before and is now just catching up to the party. And it's going to take some time for it to recover. And I hope it does. We need strong debate over public policy again and two parties who are part of that conversation. Before we move on to our next topic, uh, closing out on the discussion on the Speaker of the House, we also have Patrick uh, Conley in the room. And here we are with Becky Allery and Michael Broadcorp. I know all three of you have a close relationship with Tom Emmer. What has his response been? Have any of you talked to him about uh, how he feels about this? Uh, Becky, let's start with you. 
and explain why. <laughs> yeah, so I, um, you know, I worked for Tom Emmer on his 2010 campaign. I spent three years for working for him in Washington D.C. Um, you know. I I have not spoken with him, um, but I do think that he's working hard. You see him having conversations with different members. Um, I know that he got Roy, or it, it appears that he was um, instrumental in conversations with Chip Roy, getting him to flip. Um, so I do know those conversations are happening. Uh, they're they're happening. They're 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 working to. Sorry, I'm needing to get a little closer here. Um, they're happening. He's working hard. He's doing the role he was hired to do as mature or elected to do as majority whip and um hopefully hopefully they get those last few soon i i'm really proud of congressman emmer and in his leadership role i know um that he's he's you know he is someone particularly inside the republican party we have a pattern in history of having candidates run for statewide office and then spitting them out the other side never to run again and, and congressman emmer ran for governor in 2010 ran a close race spent some time doing some other things and ran for congress and is now ascended into the leadership uh he has been a central figure in helping negotiate and get this resolution solved. So understanding that, you know, that we, we did have, Becky and I both had some concerns about how the branding and how this hurts Republicans. But if there is a solution in the in later today or in the coming days, that solution will have come because of the work that Congressman Emmer did. And Minnesotans should be proud of him for that. All right, let's talk a little bit about this week. I mean, this is the start of the legislative sessions here in uh, Minnesota. I'd like to hear a response or reaction from each side and what, we're, what you think we're going to see and how things have started out. Let's start with the uh, DFL debrief. Well, look, I mean, I think uh, obviously this is only the second trifecta that we've seen in state government in the last 32 years. Both of them uh, DFL trifectas and both of them under my time as chair. I'm proud of what we've been able to accomplish. And uh, I will say that, um, you know, I said this to the governor. Look, these are good headaches to have, but they are headaches, right? We, you know, ask Mark Dayton about that, right? Many people talk about all the great things that happened during the last trifecta, and there was a lot of great things that happened. But there's a lot of us who remember the things that didn't happen. And as I've reminded incoming legislators coming in, um, it's not every day that you come into uh, uh, majorities, and it's certainly not every day that you come into a trifecta uh, with a $17 billion surplus to boot. And so there's a lot of um, pressure, obviously, to deliver on the promises that we made to Minnesotans. And you've already seen in just a short time that there's a lot of legislation already moving through to deliver on those promises. But, um, you know... uh, Unlike the Republicans, who have, I think, the luxury um, because they're not as big of a tent uh, as the DFL in that sense, uh, you know, they mainly march lockstep. They're pretty homogenous party, pretty uh, ideologically pretty aligned. We are not. And you have a lot of different ideas about uh, what to do with the surplus and how to move forward, both in this budget year and then, of course, in this policy year coming up. And so, look, uh, you know, we can talk about the issues. I'm sure Will and Brian will talk a little bit about some of our main priorities. But what I said to um, our legislative leaders and the governor on Monday night at a big event is that it that old Methodist saying, which is we have to use the power we have when we have it to make as big of a difference as we can for as many people as we can. And that's what I believe. Um, We have to act like there is no tomorrow and that we have to push for what we need in reason. And why I say that is because I don't believe that we should um, tippy-toe around these issues, but we do need to make sure that we push hard for what we believe in and the promises that we made to Minnesotans. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Ken mentioned the legislative priorities uh, that the Democrats uh, in the State House and Senate are pushing. And one thing I'm really excited about is 
the democracy reforms. We touched on that a little bit, but uh, I think, you know, things like automatic voter registration are really exciting. And uh, I actually read a Politico story recently about how they crunched some numbers on early voting data and found that it doesn't benefit either party uh, disproportionately. It's about even. And so, I mean, I think there's a good case to make for these kind of pro-democracy, making voting easier reforms. Uh, implementing them because it's not about partisanship. It's just about like strengthening our our elections. And so maybe there could be some opportunity for bipartisanship there. I'm not really sure, but that's one that I'm particularly excited about. And uh, I'll also kind of echo some of what Ken said about the headaches. I mean, folks saw what a two seat Senate majority in uh, in Congress bought Democrats the last two years. In Minnesota, we have a one-seat Senate majority, mm-hmm. and so we were able to get a lot done these past two years federally. Uh, there were some things that were left on the table. I would imagine that that's probably going to be true of, uh, of the legislature here in Minnesota, but I'm, I'm optimistic. Any that's- thoughts, Will? Yeah, I mean, you know what I'm excited for, full legalization here in Minnesota. <laughs> very excited about that. Actually, it seems like it's a really great bill that they've put forward. There's very, we were going through it today talking about there's very, they've solved a lot of the problems that these other states have. So I think it's going to be a huge benefit to the state. Also, obviously, women's right to choose and the and the um, democracy bill and those kind of things. Super excited for all that. And let me, let me just say, you know, there's really probably eight issues that I think Democrats are really looking at this session here. The first, of course, is uh, around abortion and making sure that we codify uh, abortion protections in this state, uh, both in statute and also uh, through a constitutional amendment, which I will, I, which I do believe will be put on the ballot. Marijuana legalization, um, uh, which is it's well uh, you know, long past uh, due, and we need to pass that, and we will. Paid family and medical leave is a huge priority for DFLers, but it's not just DFLers. It's also supported by the Chamber of Commerce and Minnesota businesses who recognize that it's the right policy for Minnesota families. On climate and uh, and renewable energy, making sure that at the end of the day, we start to move our state in the direction that other states are going. Uh, 100% of our electricity for our utilities coming uh, from uh, carbon-free sources by 2040. Education funding, the cornerstone of this state has been education, and Republicans and Democrats invested in the Minnesota miracle in the 70s. That's what's made this state excel, and we have to get back to funding at the levels that are required. One also other area where there's bipartisan agreement is cutting uh, Social Security tax. And, you know, there's plenty of Democrats, DFLers, who don't support that. uh, But there's a lot of DFLers who do, including the governor, and and we'll deliver on that this year. And then driver's licenses for all is another critical piece uh, that we're pushing right now is to make sure that every uh, person in the state has a driver's license. uh, And that's also supported by the Chamber of Commerce and other business leaders. And lastly is public safety. And I know Patrick uh, cares deeply about this. You know, and not to get overly partisan here and put you guys on the spot, but the Republicans in the Senate last year walked away from actually doing something on this, and that was shameful. Governor had a $500 million bill to do something on public safety to help provide police uh, departments and others the tools they need to bring down violent crime, and Republicans walked away from that. As, in addition, they walked away from the House bill, which was $250 million. With $17 billion, we can put money out there to give police departments and, and others the tools they need to help us address crime in this in this state what happened to Patrick and his family shouldn't happen to anyone ever again and uh, I've said this to him I've said this to other friends of mine who've been victimized we have a responsibility again this is not a partisan issue Republicans made it a partisan issue because they thought it would deliver them elections guess what it didn't deliver them elections so now they need to get to the table and start delivering results well Michael you did the you did the violin when I was uh, talking earlier but 
Take take those eight different points and come up with one yeah. message. I mean, it's uh, also it's, I mean, it's stuff, it's a cat hurt. I, I know. I'm so, listeners haven't smashed their phones. By, know, the, by the way, this, this is why this is why uh, Will and Brian have such a tough time. They have to edit the edit me like crazy. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, no, I I was hoping you'd keep going on and not I not get the opportunity to speak because I don't know how to respond to that. I mean, it, it's a it's it's a hearty list, right, Becky? Yeah. You know what? First, I got to go back to what you said a, a little bit ago when you were <laughs> describing. Um, um, the Republicans in, in the legislature and the Democrats, and you said, you know, Republicans don't have the problems because we're marching in lockstep and, and Democrats have, you know, big tent party. I mean, the most eloquent way of saying you got some far sides of the spectrum, right? <laughs> I mean, it was very, very well put. But I think that's going to come to light with a lot of these issues you talked about. I mean, I think, you know, environmental stuff and energy, that's, you know, there's going to be a lot of folks of figuring out how how to become carbon free. You know, a lot of that sometimes you need to mine certain things to be able to produce that, you know, batteries you need for certain, you know, so a lot of that is going to come to a head. I think you're going to see a lot of your big tent party, really both sides of the spectrum and, and everywhere in between. Education spending, I think, is another one. You know, the, the governor has said that we want to become the best state in the you know in the in the country for Minnesota students we've also found that throwing just more money at it is not enough and so there's going to need to be policy reforms in addition to money um so you know as as much as we're envious about you know the successes you've had it is going to be a tall task and a lot of a lot of things to work through yeah i think one of the questions is is will there be a special session will it all get done on time do you think do you think that the, the has the have the democrats uh, bitten off more than they can chew, you think? We're only a couple days in, but do you think it can get done? Because, I mean, we have a pretty rich history in Minnesota of having regular special sessions. <laughs> and and do you think with the trifecta, uh, with process, that, that all of it can get done and managed in a regular session? I'm certainly hopeful, but you know, I wouldn't bet on it, yeah. right? I mean, I, you know this better than anyone, Michael. I mean, how many special sessions have we had over many years? Whether they're no it's longer Democrats, special, right? They're no, they're not special. It's 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 commonplace now. So, you know, which actually begs a larger question here. I think we probably, I've been a supporter of this. I know there's some drawbacks to it, um, but uh, we probably have this archaic belief that um, you know. Uh, uh, this should be a part-time legislature um, and that we can get our work done in five to six months. It, 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 it's proven not to work in some time. And there's no legislator elected who is really part-time. When they go back to their districts after session, that's pretty much their full-time job. And so we should start treating it as such and not put these artificial deadlines on this work. We should go to a full-time model, a year-round mm -hmm. legislature. I know it will cost more, but that's the way it is anyways right now in, in theory, and we should actually put it into practice. The challenge will be that it's it's Republicans, you know, and, and I would make the argument that it would it would bring if republic if you know it gets to a philosophical position that Republicans have because they they again they view government as part of the problem. So if you're making legislators pull, full time, you're in essence you know there's there's a, a belief that they have that having them split their time and going back to their constituents and back to their districts keeps them in touch with all that type of stuff. But operationally, it would make a lot more sense to the function of the institution of the body. Mm -hmm of the legislative bodies. But we'll see. I mean, I think it comes, I mean, I think the other role that I think we're, we're going to be, we're somewhat, you know, Becky and I somewhat have a little bit of a deficit here in a sense that I, I will say is that I think that I'm, and we've talked about this on, on our podcast was the lack of Republican messaging in, in the, in, in particularly mm -hmm. this week. Um, we've both been a little surprised by that. And, and all I can attribute it to is a still kind of, uh, 
uh, traumatic effect from losing on Election Day. I think Republicans in Minnesota had an expectation aside from, you know, not necessarily in the governor's race, but the expectation coming in was that Republicans were going to win. At least this presented a best opportunity for Republicans to win statewide. And they were going to potentially keep, if not gain, a legislative body. And what ended up happening on election night was Republicans lost every statewide race. They lost control of the Senate and they did not gain seats in the House. And so Republicans being in a in in this far of a minority is not where they expected to be come January. I, I would just say, though, Michael, that there, there, it's not like there wasn't any messaging this week. And I think this is the big problem is the Oof. messaging that we've heard is, uh, you know, rallies by the anti-vaxxers headlined by your former gubernatorial candidate. Scott okay. I, my former gubernatorial, it's <laughs> Becky's former. Okay. Okay. But, okay. But, but my point, my point being is, is that, Uh, And even some of the speeches uh, by incoming uh, legislators in the Republican caucuses, which would suggest that they certainly did not learn the lesson from the last election, that they believe that doubling down on this crazy and uh, doubling down on conspiracy theory is the path forward. And that will still be an ever present challenge for the Republicans. Right. Yes. You know, we're all hopeful that there's some sort of cohesive messaging coming out of there. But the reality is, is the only one that is breaking through right now is the one that didn't not win for you in the last election. All right, one uh, final question for each side here. We're all in the same sandbox. We've been very, very friendly to each other, mm. which is the way it should be. But, you know, if the listeners that are tuning into both of the podcasts, I think that Paul would like to know, what do you, each of you think the polarizing issue will be in this legislative session that would definitely each side would be coming at it differently? So let's give it a little bit of time to think about it. Becky and uh, Michael, I hope you agree on what it is. You guys think about it and let's, so the listeners then can be tuning in, watching listening to your your uh, podcast going forward looking in the paper and uh, following along so issue number one what would be your thoughts michael abortion i think that i think that there is a, a fundamentally i think that when becky and i had a, a podcast episode of, a week or so ago we discussed the top political story of 2022 mm-hmm. it was the dobbs decision i think it fundamentally altered the political landscape i think it it it, it Republicans could no longer talk about abortion mm-hmm. in the language that they that they that they are that they have, uh, and so I think that they are just ill-prepared and inequipped to deal with the issue. Mm-hmm. And so if the Democrats are going to focus on abortion, either through codifying it in, in the Constitution, a constitutional amendment, that will be a very difficult message for Republicans. Becky? Oh, I was just, I mean, completely agree. I think that's something that we've talked to, you know, pretty much every episode about lack of message discipline and, and being, you know, we had Annette Meeks on the other day, the other day talking about her op-ed where she talked about Republicans having a failure of a path, a plan to, to move mm-hmm. forward. And this is a prime example, right? We talked about how we've been talking, or not we, I, I you know, will out myself again as pro-choice, but um, Republicans as a whole have largely been talking about overturning this or, you know, getting mm-hmm. rid of, or I'm sorry, yes, getting rid of abortion rights mm-hmm. for years and years and years and decades. That's right. And then it happens and they have nothing to say and nothing to do. And so we saw this last election cycle that that what they were saying wasn't wasn't effective. If it goes to a constitutional amendment, we're going to have this for the next two years. And the ways they're going to talk about it are yet to be seen. Um, I'm not overly optimistic, but I hope they get some cohesion of some pivot, um, a, a way to at least talk about something else if they can't find a way to talk about it. All right, Team DFL Debrief, what do uh, you think our listeners should be keyed in on and looking forward uh, in this legislative session? I can go. Um, and 
for me, it's just the budget surplus and where that money's going to go. I, I mean, obviously, it's going to be a big enough problem on our side, but, you know, when Republicans start chiming in and what they think, it's going to just be, there's going to be so much fighting and giving um, giving it to each other on where that money is going. Everyone has an idea of well, how it's best spent. And to me, that's going to be the number one co- most controversial issue. And it's going to go to the very end of session. Ken? Or no, I, I agree. At least on our side, it sh- certainly is. In terms of what is the issue that's going to have the deepest divide amongst Democrats and Republicans, I would say it probably is abortion. Because on some of these other issues that I mentioned, there is going to be some common ground between both parties. There, there, there's, there's, you know, a shared value around trying to figure out paid and family leave, and you know, and how to get to you know this clean energy package. Uh, you know, th- again, there'll be different approaches by the parties, but I think the most polarizing issue is going to be on abortion. And what I would say is that, um, you know, this is fundamentally one of the biggest challenges for the Republican Party is not just the issue of abortion, right? But the reality is, is that because they've lived in this echo chamber of just trying to cater to their base, primarily in greater Minnesota, they've missed where suburban voters have moved on critical issues. Michael and I live about a mile apart in Egan. uh, And I'll tell you, the last Republican to win statewide uh, who was successful is our neighbor, Tim Pawlenty. And the reason Tim Pawlenty was successful is because he realized that you can't just divide up the state and run on a message of dividing the state. You have to run on a message of uniting the state, and you have to have a platform that appeals to the suburbs. You remember he famously called himself a Sam, Sam's Club Republican, and he won, and he won twice in this state. And I'll tell you, when they rejected Tim Pawlenty uh, in that primary, it showed me everything I needed to know about where the Republican Party was at in this state. So it's not just the issue of abortion. The Republicans have to realize if they want to get back into the majority in this state, they're going to have to start listening to suburban voters, and they are not where the Republican Party, this modern Republican Party, is at on abortion, on guns, on education, on transportation, on a whole host of issues that suburban voters care about. Final comments, Brian? Yeah, one thing I'll be watching pretty closely is, uh, honestly, health care and prescription drugs. I think that in the past five or so years, basically since Trump got elected, a lot of Democrats have become... Uh, fairly well versed in healthcare policy or at least developed pretty strong ideological positions on uh, ways to expand access to lower the price of prescription drugs and i think that if you're looking for maybe where some of the like dividing lines might be in the legislature i think that might be one area where within the dfl those uh, kind of come to the forefront luckily i think that we're all you know we might have different ideas but i think we're all generally rowing in the same direction so i do think that there will be some positive movement there but uh, i do think that'll be one where you see some uh, some pretty rigorous debates within our party all right so one of the things i know that you guys do at the dfl debrief is something called ogs and you betcha so let's kick off uh, this little segment you guys have with team dfl debrief what is your og and your you betcha Ken, why don't we start with you? What is your You Betcha of the Week? Well, thank you, Will. My You Betcha for the Week goes out to the Broadcorp Report. Oh, You Betcha, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A huge You Betcha to longtime nemesis and one of the top Republican (laughs) political operatives in the state for starting a long overdue podcast platform for Republican voices in Minnesota, along with Becky Allery and Todd Walker. They are making sure that Minnesotans on the right have a place to turn 
to and to tune into for Republican viewpoints. I look forward to listening each week, and I would urge our listeners to also tune in. It's always good to glean insight for from our opponents. As our uh, research team knows, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we do deep dives into everything that is said and published by Republicans in this state. But I will tell you, you know what, uh, both Michael and Becky and Todd, um, you know, uh, I think are really providing a service to democracy here in Minnesota by preventing, uh, presenting, I should say, uh, alternative viewpoints, uh, both within their party, but frankly, uh, within, um, you know, this democratic state. So thank you. My you betcha goes out to Michael and Becky and Todd. And your OGs. My OGs goes to the number 50. Oh, geez. Well, Brian. Is that the number McCarthy's at now? Becky, Todd, <laughs> Michael, July 17th, 2023 will mark the 50th anniversary of my birthday. Oh. I know, Michael, you just, I know, it's not good. It's, it's hard for me to believe that this year I'm going to be turning 50 years old. I just, uh, mm. 50, it's not a good number. Mm. My, mm. my OGs is to 50. I just turned 30 and it was rough, so I can't imagine what you're going <laughs> Oh, wow. Again. That's going to be a fun podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh boy. It's going to be a fun one. All right, Michael, how about you? Who does your You Betcha for the week go out to? You Betcha has to go out to, I'm going to just, I'm going to put her on the spot. It's going to be Becky Allery. Oh, You uh, Betcha, yeah. Yeah. And, and, Shucks. And part of the reason why, and I, I put some thought in this simply because um, I've been, you know, as, as we're talking about where this party goes and where the party needs to go, I've been so appreciative of the opportunity to get to know Becky to have her voice. And, and to have her out there talking about issues. I think it's important for a number of ways that we, that we have. Uh, we, we expand the, the, the universe of Republican analysts and commentators out there. And, and, and Becky's voice is a voice that needs to be heard. She is someone who has been, who is, who's, got a, who's got a solid core conservative Republican cr- credentials. Uh, she's got a, a strong backbone. Uh, she's also thrown me around a few times on social media. She hasn't been afraid to do that. To throw, and, and I respect that. I respect that grit. I ex- respect that determination. And I'm really proud to, to have uh, to share a, a podcast with her and her voice and, and leadership. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I will say, uh, as comms director of the DFL, uh, you were definitely a tough uh, interlocutor when you were uh, at the Minnesota GOP. So a lot of respect. Well, thanks, guys. No doubt about it. And how about your OGs? Who does your OGs for the week go out to? My OGs, I'm going to have to follow you. I'm turning 50 this year, too. Oh, Uh, OGs. And I I turned 50, uh, uh, you know, later later this year. I just turned 40. I'm going to turn 50 later this year. What I am excited about is I was speaking with my sister who who, who turned 50 a, a few years ago. We can get ARP magazines. It's amazing. I can't you know? wait to get that uh, card in the mail. And I'm excited about that. I will also tell My you that I discount at Denny's. That I got. I'm a, I became a Costco member a few years ago from Egan. We get Costco magazines. I get excited no. about the Costco know, magazines. Costco so, Republican. Costco That's what we'll Republicans. Yes. Yeah. So I'm excited about being 50. I'm excited about being an ARP uh, a member of ARP. <laughs> Uh, and and you know maybe being a part of the Republican Senior Caucus uh, within a few years. I hope uh, to be a part you, of that. You, you could be a part of ours too. <laughs> so I'm looking. So that's that's oh, gonna, So God. thank you. There you go. How about you, Will? Uh, who does your you betcha for the week go to? Um, go to Brian. Okay, I'm gonna cut this. How about you, Brian? Who does your You Betcha for the Week go to? Uh, my You Betcha for the Week is going to go to the uh, C-SPAN camera crews. Oh, You Betcha, yeah. Yeah. 
So this week I learned that uh, it is actually House leadership that imposes like really tight restrictions on the types of shots that C-SPAN camera crews can uh, can have of the House floor. But if there is no leadership that has been elected yet, they're free to do whatever they want. And so we've gotten these really fascinating shots of I, uh, I saw today Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Matt Gates <laughs> chatting. I saw uh, AOC and Paul Gosar talking. You just got to wonder what the heck is happening in these conversations. It's fascinating. And I wish, you know, whoever is in charge i wish they would free the c-span camera crews mm. because it's just been a ton of fun that's our new slogan that's, that's, the there should be t-shirts we should, get, we should get t-shirts done that's great absolutely how about your ogs brian who does that go to my ogs is going to go to former representative eric mortensen oh geez so he posted on facebook uh today of all days uh Forged my own axe yesterday. I shall name it Rhino Breaker. And then some photos of him making an axe. I, that's just, I don't know. That's it's not, not threatening a great look. or concerning, right? <laughs> yeah, like why, why venture towards that? I mean, obviously he courts attention and is a bit of a, a, bit of a grifter, but... Ugh. I'm sure it's disappointing for Geo, Minnesota GOP House leadership to lose the majority, but they cannot be upset about losing Eric Morrison. Right? No, no. I, I will tell you that I've, I've never, um, th- there were a lot of people that were, were celebrated. That was the one thing on election night that people were really excited about was the loss of Representative Mortensen. We were mm-hmm. checking to see if the uh, former speaker had donated to uh, Brad Tabke. There are a number of Republicans who uh, were out there uh, subworking, yeah. working for him, and, and so uh, it's nice to see that democracy works once. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, and how about you, Becky? Who does your You Betcha for the week go to? Um, you know, I'm I'm going to play the typical Republican here. My you betcha is going to go out to Congressman Tom Emmer. Oh, you betcha. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we hit on it a little bit earlier, but um, while he's, he's, you know, got a tough task ahead of him, they're working hard. Not an easy way to start out your role as, as majority whip. Um, I think that we can applaud the fact that as a Minnesotan and as a Republican from Minnesota, I mean, he really got came into the Congress. I don't think a lot of people expected him to be the type of congressman that he has been. He's kept his head down. He's worked really hard. He's, you know been successful at the NRCC to a varying degree um, but obviously now over at the house and um, I you know got to give it a, an applaud, applaud here to my former boss and I would just say I, I remember talking to Senator Klobuchar right after uh, the election and it was clear that uh, that uh, Congressman Emmer was going to be ascending into leadership and I asked her what her thoughts were and and I think her thoughts reflect uh, the thoughts of a lot of Minnesotans that we should always celebrate when one of our own one of our own Minnesotans whether it's a DFL or a Republican ascend into any leadership spot whether it's nationally or or here in this state uh, it's 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 a good thing to see and uh, despite my differences I I know his wife Jackie still calls me the assassin uh, and uh, that's okay uh, but uh, despite our differences politically um, you know I, I I'm, I'm a proud Minnesotan that uh, we have another Minnesotan in a leadership role in their caucus so. I'll, I'll say this too about Tom Emmer not a lot of politicians on any side will when they're challenged on their beliefs I mean, the guy will slap you on the back, look you right in the eye and tell you what he thinks, and he's not afraid to do it. So It was right. one of my favorite things working for him. You might not like what he mm-hmm. has to say, right. but you're going to know where he stands. That's right. That's right. And how about your OGs for the week, Becky? So my OGs is going to be um, to Robert Garcia, rep-elect from California. Oh, geez. Um, he decided to be sworn in on a Superman comic. So uh, that's something a little bit news. I mean, an original uh, Superman. Number one, he got it from the Library of Congress. I mean, I'll give him a little credit. There was a constitution under there, um, but it was a little ridiculous in my book. 
if I may just <laughs> have a little bit of DFL history for a second. If you if you remember the 2006 election and the election of Congressman Keith Ellison to Congress, and when he got sworn in, what did he do? He got sworn in on a Koran mm-hmm. that was in Thomas Jefferson's library. That's right. I mean, that was hands down wow. one of the most sophisticated, smooth political moves. Is that he was mm-hmm. sworn in on a Koran that was in the li- that was in Thomas Jefferson library. I wanted to bring that up. Uh, uh, but not that, quite the Superman. I was comic. Just, not, <laughs> not quite the Superman comic, but I just wanted to talk yes. about the significance this, that triggered that memory of mm-hmm. just the use of it. And, and again, in all interest of respect, I'm not equating the the, the no, way, no, but no. It was yeah. just a wide. It was just a. It was just the, the use of it, and I just wanted to bring that up as an example. Yeah. No, absolutely. The comic was in Grandma's basement. That's a little different than yeah. Thomas Jefferson's library. Yeah, it was, this just, was from the Library of Congress. Yeah, it's the that's number cool. one original. I <laughs> yeah, did that's hear. Cool. Or that's yeah. what I read. Yeah. But if but what it did is you remember that election, and what it did is when Allison went out there with it, it was, it was and the fact it was in Thomas Jefferson's library. It was just a. It was just a. It was a. Mm-hmm. It was a. It was a. It was just a nice political moment. Just to, you know for that for that take. Yeah, no doubt. Will, how about you? What's your you betcha? My you betcha goes out to the legions of Minnesota Department of Transportation plow drivers. Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. Uh, working around the clock, clearing tons and tons of snow, laying salt down. So Where do you live? They're working around oh. the clock? I, <laughs> geez, my, that was going to be my you betcha. As, You've got to be well, kidding that's what, me. That's what oh, happens in DFL neighborhoods. You <laughs> yeah, must yeah, live yeah. in the suburbs. <laughs> if you live in the city of St. Paul, there hasn't been a plow on the street. St. Louis Park. Oh, my gosh. I, I can barely get out of my driveway because I have a packed in tight uh, bunch of snow at the end of my drive because they're going up and down my street every other day. So, And they've been busting their butts out there working constantly. There's okay. a lot of roads to plow. Well, as we were talking in our in our prep for this, uh-huh. you went over to the chairman's house on snow days. And, and yeah, you he makes there, staff do that. You go shovel them out. Because I'd yeah. ask you to come Rest. by my house and do that. Mr. He chairman. brought the DFL van over. That's, that's right. You know, and they just oh, yeah. shovel the driveway that's out. That's great to know. Yeah, that's That right. would be amazing to get that thing <laughs> yes. plowing out your driveway. <laughs> Michael. Fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Yes. How about your OGs, Will? My OGs, well, as we saw, Ken gave props to the Broadcorp Report and his OGs. My, or his you betcha, my OGs is going out to the Broadcorp Report. Oh, geez. And it's not because I don't like you two and you three, excuse me. And it's not that I don't love the content. I've listened to every episode, but the Broadcorb report, it could have been the Broadcorb report, which I think is much better. <laughs> the broadcast, the podcorb. I mean, there's a whole ton of options and I don't know. The Broadcorb Report, just uh, you missed so many good opportunities there. And wow. where's Becky's name also, by the way? Wow. That is something that we've discussed. <laughs> that is, as, as stay tuned, He's I will He's the one say. that's got the followers, stay guys. Tuned. I'm just along yes, for the ride. That is something, in the interest of disclosure, stay tuned for that, okay? I just want to tell you, we don't put Will in charge of any of our creative, and you can see why. No, so please don't I like those ideas. The Broadcorb Report <laughs> is pretty awesome. That is good. I texted him the day that he announced it, and I said, where's the Broadcorb Report? That is yep. the way to do it. Stay tuned for other changes. How long is that going to be relevant for, though? Because, I mean, that's got to be about a 15-year-old joke at this point. What's that? The Colbert, the oh, Colbert yeah. report. I don't know. I think it's funny. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. There fair you enough. go. Last but not least, we do need to ask yeah. Todd. Todd, who does your you betcha for the week? Well, my you betcha it was going to be you betcha to a Jensen. It, you betcha. Oh, you betcha. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can the guy just resurrect himself continually and rise from the dead and embarrass the Republican Party anymore? I mean, the guy's just got to go away. So he would be my uh, uh, OG. I will say this, though. Our biggest, our biggest following, our most listened to episode ever is our first episode on Scott Jensen where he tweeted it out. 
And it is like 10 times any other episode because all his yeah. people listened to it <laughs> and, he and gave us one-star reviews. And... Specifically, he tweeted the link to give us reviews <laughs> yeah. on uh, on iTunes. Oh, and so, so we, we spent... have a 1.9-star uh, rating because yes. of that. It's genuinely very funny. It wasn't just because of Jensen. Come well, on. it's also the concept. <laughs> yeah. It's also just us, us generally. <laughs> we spent the next couple episodes reading the bad reviews, and they are hilarious. They're so good. It's That's awesome. Right. Yeah. All right, how about your OGs? <laughs> My OGs is, was going to be actually snow removal. If you live in the city of St. Paul, oh, Jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's <That>. insane. <laughs> I mean, Patrick Conley is sitting right back here. Patrick, has anybody ever been down your street uh, since the last snowfall? Four cars stuck. Yeah, I mean, we, there's still cars uh, that are stuck on my street, and I live right down from the cathedral. So that hmm. would be my hmm. uh, my big one. Well, that's amazing. We got a you betcha on snow removal from a DFL or mm-hmm. a you betcha or OGs on snow removal from a Republican. I'm not sure. Maybe that's going to be the biggest departure point this year snow <laughs> removal. So. Well, this has really been great. Uh, thank you so much for letting us be your guest here on the DFL Debrief. We've really appreciated it. We usually do Tweet of the Week, but I know we're running long on time. Unless you guys have a no. quick Tweet of the Week, we're going to cut the Tweet of the Week. But this has been great to Michael Broadcorb, to Becky Allery, to Ken Martin, to Brian Evans, and to Will Davis. Thank you. It's really been great to, to having the Broadcorb Report here. But if people want to reach out to you, let's do a quick around the table where they can find you if they're listening to the broadcard report yeah so uh we are just at uh at podcast at dfl.org and on twitter i am at uh bry in mn it was better when i was in wisconsin mm. but uh i know it's all it's all i got ken you can find me on twitter at ken martin 73 but please don't please don't <laughs> no one does i'm available at, at m broadcorp on twitter and i'm allery rl on twitter yeah, you can't find me on Twitter. You can't find it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Once again, this I am Todd Walker, and I am the moderator of the Broadcorp Report. Thank you once again to the DFL Debriefing. We look forward to seeing your thumbs up wherever you are listening to your podcasts, and uh, certainly send us any ideas for future podcasts and future guests. Thank you once again, and thanks for listening to the crossover of the DFL Debrief and the Broadcorp Report.